have never in my lifetime um, done a message series as drawn out as the comeback series has become for us this year. Um, but I felt so prompted to highlight these comeback stories in scripture. And for me personally, they've, they've um, inspired me as I begin to catch my breath again after you know, a hard season. And for, for some of you who are who were here, you might remember back in the fall of 2022, um, just before I, I walked through a divorce, um, I was starting a new series in the book of James. And the last message that I had preached was the one all about, you know, James gets up in your grill. That's just who he is. That's his personality. And the last message I preached um, was from James chapter one. And some of you are familiar with James chapter one. He has the gall to say, count it all joy when you're, when you're going through stuff, right? And man, with, with, without, you know, reading through the rest of that passage, that verse can really grate on a person. Uh, but if you remember in the original language, James says to count it all joy. But then he says that the stuff that we go through builds perseverance in us. And the language in the ancient text carries even more meaning. It said the language when he says perseverance is that God will build us back better, stronger, more able to persevere. Anything that the enemy can throw. And it's the picture of the marathon runner. You know, he doesn't start off running 26 miles. He or she has to go through the, the pain and the, so the physical agony. That's how I would describe it anyways, of, of training the body to endure, right? And that's, that's a lot of short runs that maybe hurt at first. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Your muscles have to endure some pain and some ripping to build up to marathon strength. And so God will use what the enemy meant for evil and he will turn it around for our good. We know that from uh, scripture. I don't, I don't know how to explain what, it, what has happened to me over you know, the last few months and uh, other than God is a miracle working God. That's, that's who he is. He, he is a build back better God. And I don't say that to lessen any, any of the, the last 30 years of my life. God was working on me then too. But I do feel like a, it's, it's like that Yahweh, the fresh breath of God in my lungs. And, and, and when people ask me how I'm doing, I was, I was on a trip, I was in Denver this weekend. It's so weird for me to say, you know, better than ever. But that's, that's really kind of how I feel. I'm better than ever. But, the, you know, and so anyhow, I believe that this message series has been Holy Spirit directed. And, and part of it may have been you know, for my healing, as, I'm, as we're going through these comeback stories, you know, my journey. But I think it's more so that we all need to hear and be reminded of the overarching story of the Gospels, which is a massive comeback story. That's what the gospel story is. We have a restorative God. He restores our souls. He gives rest to the weary. He builds us back better. He is our firm foundation. This is who he is. And so as of right now, I've got in my heart anyways, three more comeback messages stirring in my spirit. Is that all right? Uh, so we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna do it for at least three more weeks. And so if you are able, would you stand and pray with me over God's word to us this morning? Um, we don't have this on the screens, but I, 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 I wanna read to you um, what my regional pastor, Lauren Holtberg, um, sent out to all of the Foursquare pastors this morning. Media guys, you're okay. This wasn't on the script. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll get there. Um, <laughs> um, but um, he, he, read, he, he sends out a message to all the pastors every Sunday morning, early, early, early in the morning. And he texted this to us this morning. This is from Jeremiah 23, uh, verse uh, 39. It says, 
Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? I love that. And this is what he prayed. He said, may God's word through you be like a hammer and a fire. So, and then he said, pray for me today as I'm riding my motorcycle with some others at our Foursquare Biker Church in Great Bend, Kansas. <laughs> so God, we pray for Lauren, Pastor Lauren. What a blessing to this house he's been. He's been here several times and um, we pray for him as he's riding bike today. God, we thank you that your word is like a fire. And may it, may it break a rock into pieces, hard things in our life that, that have maybe even broken us. Um, you, may your word just cut through this morning, burn deeply in us. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. All right, thank you. You can be seated. So the comeback message series, or the, the comeback title uh, today is The Tale of Two Mountains. And the reason that um, I wanted to share this story today is that I want us to come around uh, and face the fact that for most of us, there are gonna be more mountains in our lives. And uh, I'm here to tell you this morning that you're not gonna die on that hill that you think you're dying on right now. And now, you know, not if you've cast your lot with Jesus. Now, if you're, if you're floating on your own and you're calling the shots and you're running the show and you've told God that you don't need him in this story, that's a treacherous place in life. But even then, I believe that God's working to move towards your life, even right now in this moment. Um, but if you've decided, and this is key for all of us, if you've decided, I wanna go with Jesus, uh, then I wanna remind us all today that your story is not gonna end on the hill that you're on today. And so you might be at a peak of excitement and success, but you're not, your life's not gonna end at that peak. Uh, there, there will be a valley, you know, on the other side of that peak. And if, if you're way down in the valley today, I wanna remind you that your life's not gonna end way down in the valley. Can I just get an amen from somebody this morning? <laughs> so if you're down in a pinnacle of depression, in a pinnacle of defeat, a pinnacle of collapse or a pinnacle of foolishness or cancer, whatever it is, your story is not gonna end on that mountain. And if we decide in our heart, I wanna go with Jesus, here's the big story today. Well, let's just go right to the end. Jesus is going to cross all the way over to the other side and he's going to take us with him. And that's the, that's the end of the day. And we're going to stand in the fullness and the victory of Jesus. That's where we're all headed. And so sometimes what happens is the enemy wants to interrupt our long arc journey with our short term defeats and say, this is where you're going to stay. This is, this is where you're gonna live. This is gonna be the sum of your life, this valley or this darkness or this breakdown. Um, and the character who's gonna carry us through this teaching today is not an unfamiliar um, character to you if you've grown up in church. Even if you're not, um, this guy is not an unfamiliar character to you either because he's pretty well known. But um, here's the thing, all eyes on me for just a second. I don't want us to just shift into church mode too fast today, okay? Because sometimes we can do that if we hear something um, that we, we think we're familiar with. So when I say his name, please don't go, oh, I know about him. I know everything about him. I know all that God has to teach me. Um, uh, just hold on for a minute because the character that's gonna carry us on this journey today is a man named Moses, the Moses, you know, the, the original uh, M-O-S-E-S. -E and um, the original Moses has two mountains in his life and a lot of valleys. And I, I want us to sort of drop in on the epitaph of his life, um, which is found in Hebrews chapter 11, if you've got your scripture with us this morning. This is known as the Hall of Faith. And so when you read through chapter 11 of Hebrews, you start with this. It says, now faith brings our hope into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things that we long for. Now, 
uh, just really quickly, it doesn't mean that it's some kind of silliness where you don't ever use your brain or, you know, you don't ever uh, live in the real world. You know, world, you, know you, just, you just live by faith. I'm just living, and God isn't, you know, asking anybody here to disconnect our thinking, um, our wisdom, our reason, or our brains. But what he's saying is that the long arc of our lives isn't visible to us for every single step of our lives. In other words, the promise is that Jesus is gonna finish the work that he started in you to the very end. He's gonna finish it. The promise isn't always super clear and visible in the steps of life. Um, There are some days in life where you go, I don't see how this is gonna look like you finishing what you promised to start in me. I don't see it. This looks like a meltdown. This looks like a loss. This looks like a collapse. This looks like, you know, maybe that promise was good for everybody else, but not for me. And so faith is an essential element. It's not living without thinking, but here's what it is. It's thinking about what God has promised more than what we see with our own eyes. And so faith is essential. It's the essential thing but it's thinking about what God has promised more than what we see with our own eyes. So faith is being sure of what we hope for, right? We've heard that before, if you've been around, it's being sure of what we hope for. So there's the big question and one that we don't, you know, have time to really dig into big today, but what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for? That is maybe one of the, you know, big unasked um, questions of humanity. What is it that you're hoping for? And, And most people, I think if you, if you ask, you know, answer, um, they would answer this question, well, I'm hoping to make it to the weekend. How many of you heard somebody say that? I'm just going to get through this week. I'm going to get to Friday. The American culture has created the weekend, and it might be the worst thing that ever happened to us. The, the, the only time some people that you know in America say, you know, thank God is when it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. And, and the weekend is so amazing that we named a restaurant after it. <laughs> I kind of missed that one here in Rapid. I, I like their chicken. Um, but anyhow, we've, we've created a culture that says my hope is in life is just to make it to the weekend or to, or, or to whatever day your day off is. I just try to plow through the week I, uh, to get through the stuff and to get through this class or uh, to get through my work week and get home for the weekend because man, the, you know, the weekend is coming. And, and what what... What are the weekends? I, I mean, the weekends are just like the rest of the week, right? It's, it's life, it's ups and downs and it's highs and lows and it's joy and it's sorrow and it's light and it's dark and it's health and it's lack of health and, and it's abundance and it's need. And so it's all the same, but somehow in our mind, it's like my hope in life is just to make it to Friday. If I can make it to Friday, I'm gonna be good. And God is saying that's not enough for the long arc hope for the world. So what are we hoping for because faith, we already said it, is being sure of what we're hoping for. Faith is being sure of what we're hoping for. And what God wants us to be hoping for is at the end of the day, we're going to stay face to face with the son of almighty God, because every tear is going to be wiped away. We, we know these things, right? There's going to be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more death. And that is where we're headed in our journey with Jesus. That's the last stop. That's the hope that we're hoping for. And we, we get to really lean into that faith as part of our faith. We, we, that's, a, that's a gift. There's, a, there's something that rises up in us. And he says, it is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. And then look at verse two. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. And then he just gives us 
this little thumbnail sketch of the ancients, you know, of, of, our, of the fathers of the faith and, and, and not all fathers. And he comes up to a point of saying, okay, I've, I've named a bunch of people, but I can't name everybody. So let me just categorize a lot of, a lot of people. And then he does something crazy that we're gonna see um, at the end of the message today. And he links that journey of the ancients of the faith to our story right here sitting in this room. Um, and he says, we're all in this together. So let's don't read this story today like, oh my goodness, you know, this is the Michael Jacksons of pop music or the Elvis of, of rock and roll, or uh, I don't know, the Joe Montana's of football. Um, these, these are regular people like you and me. And Moses was a regular guy like you, he, he, an ordinary person like me. And so all of these people are in this story and God chooses to tell the story of their faith. And this is where Moses comes into the story. I want you to go down to verse 23 of chapter 11. And I know we all kind of know his story, but let's all get on board with reliving it today, okay? Are you with me? Okay. Faith prompted the parents of Moses. So not just Moses is in the hall of faith, but Moses' parents are now in the hall of faith. Faith prompted the parents of Moses at his birth to hide him for three months because they realized their child was exceptional and they refused to be afraid of the king's edict. Now, we know that when Moses was born, the people of God were being oppressed by Pharaoh and Pharaoh was afraid that too many slaves would be born, right? And so they would raise up to be men and eventually, you know, he would, he would have too many slaves to suppress. And so he told the midwives, if a slave uh, boy is born, I want you to kill it. And so Moses was born into that kind of a struggle. Um, he came out of the womb into the face of death. Um, but his parents, it says, had faith. He was, he, was, he was born on the side of the control of those midwives who were gonna bring death, right? And his parents hid him away as a little baby boy until he was too big to hide anymore. And then we remember the story, many of us, they put him in a basket and trusted him to the sovereign plans of God. And they put him in the river and they shoved him downstream. Now, that may sound like bad parenting, <laughs> right? But it ended up being a good thing. Now, some of you have thought about that. You've been thinking, well, it worked out for Moses. So we're going to try to take the kids down over to Missouri and just see what happens, right? <laughs> but that's the beginning of the story. Moses was born in a combat culture. Uh, before he even knew uh, the surroundings, he was, he was in this little basket floating down the river. And so as the story unfolds, the Pharaoh's daughter and her attendants, they come out to the river and here comes the basket and the daughter discovers the basket. She opens it, she sees the baby, the baby's beautiful, amazing. And she takes the baby and all of a sudden, Moses goes from not being killed by the Pharaoh to actually becoming a little child who grows up in the goodwill of the house of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh never knows the difference, but God has a master plan in place. So uh, your parents can make decisions, but God has a master plan for your life. And this is what faith is needed for today, to believe in what we hope for, which is my mom and dad might've made you know, decisions X, Y, and Z, but God still has me on a path and a plan to fulfill his purpose for me. And so it goes on to describe this in the next verse. Let's keep on reading. It says, verse 24, faith enabled Moses to choose God's will. For although he was raised as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity, choosing instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God. Moses preferred faith's certainty 
above the momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasures. And he found his true wealth in suffering because uh, suffering abuse for being anointed more than in anything that the world could offer for him. For his eyes looked with wonder, not on the immediate, but on the ultimate, which was faith's great reward. So what does all that mean? It just simply means that when Moses got old enough to understand who he was and where he came from, um, you know, when he heard the story, you were picked up and you were put in a basket and your parents are Hebrews and, and they have faith in the true one God and, and they believed in God's plan and purpose for your life. And he looked at the palace and he looked at his identity and where he was and he said, man, I'm a son of the Pharaoh and I've got all the, you know, the riches in my future, but my people are being oppressed by all of this. And I would rather link back up with my people than skate in all the abundances of the house of Pharaoh. And so the story goes on. He saw one of the slave masters mistreating one of the Hebrews. Some of you remember the movie, right? <laughs> um, he lost his temper. He lost his cool. He struck the Egyptian and he killed him. And when he did, he had the bolt and he had to flee from Pharaoh and Egypt. And so uh, that's what Moses chose to do. Rather than you know, sit in the plenty of the palace of Pharaoh, he understood that there was a purpose in his life and that God was calling him to something greater. Now, verse 27. It says, holding faith's promise, Moses abandoned Egypt and had no fear of Pharaoh's rage because he persisted in faith as if he had seen God who is unseen. Faith stirred Moses to perform the rite of Passover and sprinkle the lamb's blood to prevent the destroyer from harming their firstborn. Faith opened up the way for the Hebrews to cross the Red Sea as if on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to cross, they were swallowed up and drowned. So just a little kind of short snapshot of the life of one guy who faced all kinds of challenges, but believed in the sovereign purpose of God in it all. So now I want you to notice though, what is left out in the, in the epitaph here? You know, what, what's left out of the summary of Moses' life here? Where, you know, well, a lot of things are left out, of course, the summary, because it's just a few verses of a man who lived over a hundred years. But what are the major things that are left out of the story. Can anybody tell me what are the major things that are left out of the story? Anguish, I heard. His... Okay, yeah. Okay. Here's, here's what I wanna point out. All the failures of Moses are left out of the story. It, it doesn't mean he didn't have failure. And it, and, it, and it didn't mean that his failures weren't consequential. Please understand that, just underlying that, you know, leaving them out here doesn't mean that he didn't have them. And it certainly doesn't mean that his failures were inconsequential. They were very consequential. It just means that at the end of his life, God chose to look at the faithfulness of his life, of this ordinary man, and to highlight for you and me the amazing ways that his faith opened the door for all of us to experience what we've experienced in our lives and our relationship with Jesus. God is the God of the comeback. I mean, I, I keep on saying it, but it's, it's, it's the story that's repeated over and over in scripture. He really is. He is the God of the comeback. And he wants you to see yourself in Moses' shoes today. So the three lies, let's start here. The three lies of the enemy are simple. We, we've actually been talking about this kind of throughout the whole series. I just want to highlight it again. Number one lie, you, the, the lie is you can't come back. That's the first lie of the enemy. And so when we find Moses in Exodus in the early chapters, we find him after he's fled Egypt. He's, he's given up on, the, on, on, the, on Pharaoh's household and he's in Midian um, keeping his father-in-law's flock. And he's old at this time. 
like really, really old. Um, and he's on the backside of nowhere, it says in scripture. He's on the, on the backside of this mountain in the, in the middle of nowhere. And then the, the bush burns. Remember? And a voice speaks. His name is called. The bush doesn't burn up. And Moses now finds himself face down on holy ground with the great I am. And so, come on. God is finding a guy who seems like he's gone off track because remember, he was born with the plan and his parents' faith set him out on this miraculous journey through this river. Now he's been raised up in, in Pharaoh's household. So he's got training, he's got equipping, he's got an education under him. Um, he's got culture under him and, and he knows more about the Pharaoh and, and how he works than probably any other Hebrew who's ever lived to this point in time. And so he's perfectly equipped to do what God's going to call him to do. But now decades have gone by and, and he seems forgotten and out of the story until the bush burns and the voice speaks. And God says, Moses, it's time for a comeback. That's essentially what he's saying here. It's time for you to get back in the story. It's time for you to get back in the plan. So here's what I'm gonna do. I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen how they've been oppressed. I've seen the slave drivers. I'm gonna deliver them, Moses, it's time. I've been working it out the whole time, but now is the time I'm gonna set my people free. I'm gonna deliver them from Egypt and I'm gonna put them in the land that is flowing with milk and honey. I'm giving them their own land and the promised land is gonna be their land forever until I return. And oh, I need somebody to be my agent to go to Pharaoh. I need somebody, the most, he's the most powerful man on the planet, earth. And Moses, you know what? You look like the best candidate to me. And so I came to meet you on the backside of nowhere today to call you back into the story. I know you killed the guy in Egypt, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about what I'm gonna do for the people of God, that my people, Moses, are you with me? And Moses, he kind of fumbles the ball, doesn't he? <laughs> I mean, you want your story to be, you know, God's found me on the floor. He's found me in rehab. He's found me at the end of my rope. And he spoke to me. He called me. He lifted me out. Uh, and he invited me in. And then I said, yes, and the rest is history. But Moses fumbled so big right here. He started, you know, stuttering and, and stammering and backing up. And he's like, what, me, huh, where, huh? I don't know. It says that when he left Egypt, he wasn't afraid of Pharaoh. We just read that, but he'd had some time to think about it now. Let the, maybe the lies of the enemy sink in. He'd been, he'd been out in the backside of nowhere and apparently that fear had crept back in. And he needed another comeback. And he said to the Lord, maybe one of my favorite interactions with humanity and deity, he says, Exodus chapter three, who am I? He would have said, you know, with a stutter, who, who, who am I? I can't do this. Who am I? Who am I? And I love it. I love it. God did not say, oh, you know, Moses. Oh, dear Moses, you know, you're, you are so amazing. Come, come on, Moses, look in the mirror. Look at how amazing you are. No, God said, uh, I'm sorry. I must not have made this clear. I'm gonna go with you. 
God isn't looking for the most adequate people to fill the key roles in his kingdom's plans on earth. He's looking for people who are confident in his adequacy to do what he has promised to do. And sometimes the breakdown is the best thing for us because it's the thing that gets us in touch with the fact that in and of ourselves, we can't pull it off. And then God's like, now this is the person that I'm talking about. I mean, think about this. Peter denies Jesus, gives up on the faith. We, we talked about his comeback story, right? He, he gives up on the faith and he goes back to Galilee and he goes back to fishing. Mr. I'm gonna be with you to the end is back on the lake with the boys. So what does Jesus do? Remember the story? He comes in, finds them out in the lake, calls them to the shore. Why? Because he wants to use Peter to be the anchor of the church on earth. And he knew that when he found him broken on the lake is that when Peter is gonna be the most ready to do what God had called him to do. And so when Peter said, I'll never deny you, these other jokers, they, they may deny you, but I'll never deny you. These other jokers may bail, but I will give you my life for you. Jesus didn't say, that's what I'm looking for right there. That's the kind of commitment that I'm looking for. Father, do you see this guy? We found our guy right here, sign him up. Peter, you ready to go? No, he waited until Peter understood his need for a savior. And so he was sitting in the middle of his misery on that lake that night, thinking about what a failure he was. And when he was at that point, Jesus called him up to be the rock on which he built his church. He said, do you love me? Remember this conversation? That's maybe the only question Peter could affirmatively answer that day. Jesus made breakfast for him and that charcoal fire on the beach. And if Jesus had asked him, were you faithful to me? Uh, you know, did you do everything that you promised? Did, 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 do, you, do you think you've got what it takes? It would have been hard for him to respond. The only thing Peter could answer in the affirmative that day, Jesus asked him because he wanted to be at a, a, a good moment for him and send Peter out to do what he called him to do. And so Jesus asked him the one thing he knew Peter could answer. And a lot of you could answer this today, not, you know, have you been faithful or, or, or did you do what you said that you were gonna do or have you done what you promised to do or did you stick in there to the very end? Jesus knows the answer to that is no. He already knows that, but he knows that if he asked you today in the middle of whatever it is that you're stuck in, do you love me? That you can honestly say, Jesus, you know that I love you. Oh, I've, I've been an, an idiot. I've messed the things up. I've wrecked all the plans, but yes, I could say that I love you. And he said back to Peter, what did he say? And feed my sheep. In other words, lie number one is you can't come back. Well, Moses came back from the back of that mountain into the palace of Pharaoh to deliver the nation of Israel, to stand on the shore of the Red Sea, to lift up his staff and see the waters part, to lead the people out and to be acclaimed one of the greatest men of faith that we've ever known. He came back. But here's the other part of it. And I don't wanna gloss over this. In the comeback that he had, there were, multiple, uh, there were multiple comebacks. And in his comeback, there were setbacks. And in our comebacks, in most of our comebacks, there are going to be setbacks. And the enemy will lie to us and say, your comeback's not real. Your comeback won't last. Look at you, you're struggling again. Look at you, you're back on the Sea of Galilee. You're out in the fishing boat with your buddies. What you thought God was gonna do two months ago really isn't gonna happen. And you probably, it's probably all a big joke there are almost always setbacks in every comeback. Not always, but here's, here's Moses. He leads the people out of Egypt, but then he loses his temper and strikes the rock. And when he does, God tells him, 
you're not going to make it all the way to the promised land. And, and you know, God, God took Moses up the first mountain, which is Sinai. Remember this part of the story? When Moses saw the glory of God pass by, even though he, he had hidden face first, he put his face into the crack of the mountain, Moses still glowed because the scripture says it was as if he saw the Lord face to face. Moses on Sinai, living high, amazing revelation, an incredible encounter with God. And now Moses is hearing the word from the God, you're, you're not gonna make it into the promised land. You're not gonna cross over the Jordan River. You're not gonna be the one that leads my people and to take what, you know, what I've promised because you lashed out in anger. You struck the rock in, in a way that I didn't ask you to. You cursed in that moment and doubted my plans. And you're not gonna be able to make it in. Now that's not, that's not the end of the story. So hold on. But Moses had a setback in the middle of all those amazing things, right? And, and so it's like, it's like we say, two steps forward and what? Three steps back, yeah, <laughs> right. You, hey, good job, man. And so that's the, that's the life of Moses. And so for some of you today, you just need to hear that you can come back. For others of you today, it's to know that in the comeback, when you have setbacks, that doesn't mean that God's not through with you. You just keep believing in the long arc plan. The last thing I love about Moses, and then we'll come to the conclusion, is that Moses shows us today that God can still use you and mightily and powerfully, even after you fail and you need to come back because there's somebody in this building today and this is what you're thinking. You know, I can, I can probably make it back, but I can only make it back, you know, to to the back seat of everything. I'm, I'm gonna be, uh, you know, like the third row for the back. I'm, I'm never gonna be, you know, the front row person. I'll certainly never be, you know, really involved in leadership of what God is doing, um, you know, and his plans here on the planet earth. And I'll, I'll certainly never be involved in leadership in the community. And I'll certainly, ne- I'll never be one of those men or women who look, you know, people look at and say, well, man, God has just put him or her out in such amazing position to influence people. Because so the lie is I can only get a limited comeback. Meaning I can get just enough grace to get in the doors maybe and sit somewhere in low visibility because the enemy's uh, uh, you know, sitting back and telling me all the stuff that I did. And so all the lies are being fed in and you can get into the church maybe, but you'll never be used in a significant way. That's the lie. And I wanna tell you that God is calling you up to a place of influence. He is. Because you, you can be at the front of what God is doing. And I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences. I'm not saying that at all. You know, there, there are consequences to a lot of our choices, a lot of our decisions, a lot of the stuff that happens in our life, there's consequences to it, but God overwhelms those. And so we've got a guy now, Moses, who's killed a guy in Egypt, who's been on the backside of nowhere and, and now he's, he's leading people. He's leading, he is the leader of God's people. And so when God is looking at you today and he's looking at me today, he's not saying, well, you can come back to here, but you know, you can never really come back to here. I mean, shoot, remember, remember Peter <laughs> denied Jesus to his face. Paul, he killed Christians and he planted the New Testament church. Moses was a washout. 
in the last stages of his life. And God said, you are gonna lift up the staff and the waters of the Red Sea are gonna part. God wants you to see yourself today, not just barely sneaking in the back door. God wants you to see yourself developing and growing and strengthening and exercising the gifts that he's given you to lead his people on. And this is the kind of God glorifying, Jesus exalting comeback that, um, that, that he does because we've come from the depths and God places us on the heights. So there's no pride in our position. There's only extreme confidence that God would use somebody like us. And so we diffuse the lies of the enemy today. I can't come back. That's number one. And somebody just maybe just needs to say that out loud or in your spirit. I can come back. This hall of faith is filled with people who came back. I mean, we ended with Moses on verse 29. And if you just skip over verse 30, which is Joshua's story where the walls of Jericho fall. And then you look at verse 31. It's kind of crazy, but it's right here in the hall of fame, verse 31, two verses down. Faith provided a way of escape for Rahab, the prostitute, avoiding the destruction of the unbelievers because she received the Hebrew spies in peace. It's like, what kind of God does this? You know, we're talking about Enoch. We're talking about Abraham. We're talking about Noah and Jacob and Moses. We're talking about, you know, leaders of our faith. And then we have verse 31. Oh, and by the way, let me just slip in. While we're talking about the hall of fame, let me talk about this prostitute. And you're like, why? I mean, can't we just put her as a footnote somewhere? Can we just like put her at the end of Jude or something? I mean, you know, but Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, and, you know, the, the part that says without faith uh, living within us, it would be impossible for us to please God for we come to God in faith knowing that he is real and that he may rewards of the faith of those who passionately seek him. You know, in that story, you're going to write into that story the word, the actual word. And I know we have families in here and somebody's going to have to explain that a little bit. But I mean, you know, we're going to put that word right in this chapter. For, can we not just say that there was a woman and you know she had a story, but, but she made it? No, I think maybe God put that word in there so that all of us can know that we can have a comeback. You can have a comeback with God. No one is disqualified from the reach of the power and the grace and the mercy of God. No one. You can have a comeback story you most likely will have setbacks. So you're not gonna make one decision that's all gonna be smooth sailing. And after that, you're, you're not gonna say, well, you know, I think I you know, wanna pursue God and it's all gonna be smooth from there. After that, you're probably gonna have a setback and then you're gonna regroup and most likely you're gonna have another setback. And I mean, do you understand what I'm talking about? For few people have a story that says, man, I was in a mess and I just leaned towards God and everything has been perfect since then. But in every setback is the same opportunity. So yes, if you have a, a habitual lifelong pattern of doing the same things that you've always done to get you into dilemma, then you need you know, a spiritual growth and evolution in your life. So we're not talking about, you know, I got sober for a week and, and, and then I went back to drinking for a month and then I got sober for a week and, and I went back to drinking for a month and praise God, I've had so many comebacks, you know. <laughs> it's unbelievable, I'm on my hundredth comeback. Nobody wants to hear that story. and Nobody wants to champion that story. But you might get sober and, and you might start down a comeback and then you might make another bad decision. 
or lose your business, or, or, or you might make another bad decision and end up in a relationship that's tanking, or, or you might make uh, 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 another bad decision and, and choose to put your resources somewhere that God didn't ask you to. Or you might make another decision and something else happens in life, and you, and you, you may hit a challenge or a death or something outside of your control may crash into your life. And so it's not like I, I give my life to Jesus and everything was amazing after that. Here's what I'm getting at. Do you remember Jesus teaching near uh, the Sea of Galilee? So many people pressed into him that up against the water's edge that he had to back up into the lake and eventually you know, get in the boat. So Jesus is in a boat teaching to these thousands of people at the lake um, and, and, and the evening came and he says to the disciples, now Jesus is already in the boat and he says, come on guys, let's go to the other side. Let's, let's go across the lake. And they say, all right. So, so now they're in the boat that Jesus was already in. So they've got their theology right. Their, their theology isn't, I need to get Jesus in my boat. Their theology is, I need to get in Jesus' boat. And, and this is a big difference in how you and I live our lives. It's, it's not, I need God to get into my relationship and bless it. <laughs> no, you need to get in a relationship with Jesus and say, wherever you're doing and wherever you're going and whatever you're about, that's what I wanna be about. And you know, maybe on the way, you can maybe introduce me to the woman of my dreams. So they're in the boat with Jesus with the promise that we're gonna go to the other side. And eventually the whole lake is in a tempest and the boat is going to go under. These are fishermen. So they're, they're not thinking, oh, you know, oh my goodness, a little breeze is coming. No, they've been on the lake and they know when the boat's going down. And so Jesus is sound asleep and they shake him awake and say, what, you know, what's wrong with you? Don't you care that we're going under? And, and they don't have the sense to remember that this is the guy that has done miraculous things. And apparently he's not concerned about going under. And so if he's not concerned about going under, then let's just, I don't know, maybe we'll let him sleep. <laughs> let's get in there and watch him sleep. And if he wakes up and he says, what's going on? Then I, th I think we're going under and we're all jumping out. But if he's sleeping, we're just, we're just gonna go, man, this storm is crazy, but he's, if he's asleep, as long as he sleeps, I'm good because I know the son of God is not drowning in the Sea of Galilee today. And that's not gonna be the end of Mark chapter four, you know? <laughs> and then the waves and the wind blew against the boat and the almighty God, the, the, the son of God, the, you know, the living God, he drowned that day in Galilee. That's not gonna be in the story. So I'm just watching him and he's sleeping. He's, he's sleeping, so he's good. I, I might just wake him up and say, hey, you know, there's a storm, right? <laughs> okay, cool. But just letting you, you know, just to make sure, but you're good, so we're good. So hold on, guys. And so, you know, just because you get in the boat with Jesus doesn't mean that you're not gonna sail right into a storm. It just means that you have a promise in that storm. You have a promise. What's the promise? That Jesus is gonna get to the other side. He'll take you with. For some of you, you know, it's a thing that derailed you. Divorce derailed you. And you've not been able to embrace the possibility and the promise that you're going to the other side. I mean, I'm not saying this just about divorce, but how many of you have felt like that before? I'm gonna get, I'm not gonna, you don't need to raise your hand. But you're not gonna die on a mountain called divorce. You're not. The, the, the storm is crazy 
And there's been all sorts of, of collapse in your life and the storm has been crazy. But here's the thing, if you're in the plan of Jesus and you've joined your life with Jesus, you don't have to be perfect. But if you sign up with Jesus and say, I'm with you, whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, I'm going, whatever you're thinking about, I'm thinking about, I cast my lot with you. If that's the decision of our lives, Jesus is gonna go over to the other side. He's crossing all the way over. I wanna bring the worship team up. We're gonna close with a song this morning. But that's, that's the idea, he's crossing over and we're all going with him and nobody's story is going to the end of, you know, end at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. It's not gonna end there. And so not one person in this building, can I just say that? It, the wind might be ripping the paint off of the walls right now, but Jesus' sleep isn't indifferent to our storm. He's trying to telegraph to us confidence in the storm. And you may have a setback, but every setback really and honestly is just seedbed for a comeback. Because you don't do one comeback in life. All of life is a comeback. Every morning is a comeback. Every time we kneel before the Almighty, it's a comeback. Every time we open the scriptures, it's God, I don't know what I was thinking, but thank you for helping me see again what you were thinking. It's a perpetual comeback story and you can come all the way back. So where does he leave us? He leaves us in verse one of chapter 12 and let's close with this. He's, he's given us all this hope. Moses is one of the people that, you know, we can sort of touch and feel. And he says, as for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircled us like clouds. In other words, since we know that we're running a bigger race than just the weekend, we're not just trying to outrun cancer. We're actually running to Jesus at the end of the day. So we know that in that race, there are all these people, Moses is in the cloud, your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your, your, your grandfather, your spouse, they're in that cloud. The saints of the ages, they're in the cloud and they're saying, we did our lap, now you do your lap. We, we ran our course, now you run your course. We're not asking you to part the Red Sea, but we're asking you to do the thing that God has put in your hands to do. We're not asking you to go and march around the, the walls of Jericho, but we're asking you to be faithful in Rapid City in 2023 in that calling that God has put on your life. And so he said, there's, there's a great cloud around us today. Then what do we do? There's these three things, the last three things on your notes. We must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. So your comeback today is extraordinarily linked, extraordinarily linked to your witness, uh, your willingness, sorry, to cut ties with the lies in your life. Your comeback today is extraordinarily linked to your willingness to cut ties with the lies in your life right here and right now because this isn't sort of some sort of pie in the sky mystery that I can just wave over us today that this is us waking up to the fact that Moses and the saints are cheering us on in the race that God has called us to run and to run that race, we've got to cut ties with everything that's trying to slow us down. And I know that as I mentioned it this morning, the spirit of God can clarify that for you right here in this place right now, just like that. Here's what's got to go. Here's what's got to go. Here's what's got to go in your life. Here's what I want, uh, I want, I've got for you to keep running for. This has got to go because you're not running the race right now. Maybe Holy Spirit is saying, can I just tell you, she's been keeping you from running this race. Uh, that's, that's as simple as it is. In the kindness of God, Holy Spirit will say that relationship has got to go. It's got to go because you're not only not running into the destiny that God, that I have called you into, but you're actually running away from the destiny that is called into. So he can speak that to you right now.
whatever it is. The second thing that he said is clear. He said, then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out before us. So run the leg that God has called you to run. That's all he's asking you to do. That just means that trust God in, in your little stretch of the race. There, there is significance and there's meaning and there's purpose in that. So the last thing, he says, keep running, keep running, be faithful today, cut ties and be faithful. How simple is that, right? Um, so cut ties today, be faithful today. And then he said, number three, set your gaze on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. We sang that this morning, right? Verse two says, we look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and our expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. If you fast forward, this is, this is the end of the story. I don't want you to miss this. If you fast forward to the end of Deuteronomy, that last chapter, the burial of Moses, it's a powerful chapter and it talks about the faithfulness of Moses in that chapter. So it's not like, man, you know, this guy was a loser. We're gonna go uh, bury him. There's gonna be a marker. And if you go look for it, it's gonna say loser buried here. No, God's saying, I got this one. And so for the honor of heaven, I'm gonna bury this servant of mine because he's an extraordinary man and I love him. And God buries Moses in the mystery of the mountain. How cool is that, by the way? <laughs> but then you fast forward to the gospels in Matthew 17. Don't miss this. Jesus takes some of his closest guys up a mountain. And as he goes a little ahead of them on the mountain, you might remember the story, light shines on the mountain. Jesus glows on the mountain. His clothes are glowing on the mountain. The glory of God is on the mountain with Jesus. A voice comes from heaven. God the Father says, this is my son. We will remember this too. This happened at his baptism as well. Same thing. It happened on this day too. Thunder and lightning, this is my son. This right here, guys, is my son. And if you're, if you're gonna build a church, you need to understand that this is not just a guy. This is my son. He's not just a man. Look at him, maybe he's glowing right before you. I mean, this is heaven and earth colliding on a mountain. And as they look, they saw another person on Jesus' right, another person on his left. And they were like, oh my goodness. And they knew who they were. They didn't have Wikipedia, you know, they couldn't look it up on their phones, you know, look at who's, who is that? But they knew who they were instantly. They had knowledge of who they were. And they said, that's Elijah and that's Moses. It's Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets. It's Jesus completing the story of God. It's Jesus triumphing all the prophets and what they had promised us on the law and what it couldn't do. And in the middle of his glorious Jesus doing what only he can do to redeem and restore and rescue man. And this little footnote in this story is that they were in the promised land on this mountain. And standing on that mountain in the promised land, just like God had said, was Moses who had stumbled on the journey. He got buried in mystery and he did not get to cross over Jordan until this day. And now he's over the Jordan and in the promised land with Jesus on another mountaintop because God is the God of the comeback. And the story here, the story ends with you and me. Come on. It does. The story ends with you and me on the mountaintop with majesty. And you're going to make it all the way into everything that God has promised you. And nobody 
can think quick enough to go, Moses, you weren't supposed to be here. You got buried somewhere. Like, we don't even know, like, in the old country of Sinai Desert. He's like, well, I know, but I didn't stay dead. Pretty awesome, right? This is Jesus, and he's amazing. And that's what happens today. So three things. You got to cut the ties. You got to run the, the leg that you were given to run the day. We gotta set our face towards Jesus because heaven cheers for Billy Graham in the same way that heaven cheers for you. Don't miss that. God is no respecter of persons and he's not asking you to live somebody else's calling. He's asking you to be faithful in your lane today.